Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. What? Oh, hello. I am Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and, yes, what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, I don't know whether I ha can ever recall such an outcrying from Wretch Nation for our content. I can't believe we're coming a day late, given all the media news uh, this week. It, exactly. that we People demanded early wretches, and we are delivering late wretches, and we are recording remotely. Our um, complaint box is open. Yeah, exactly. Please, please send all those to nate.more at aei.org. Please send all your complaints to Nate. I blame him. No, we, you and I both had big travel weeks and going around and doing stuff and traversing the nation. I have had the opportunity to get a pot of input on the firing of Tucker Carlson and some input on Don Lemon, because I have crisscrossed the breadth and width of this great nation. Uh, I was going to say, we have, uh, we have a huge front page. Should we just dive right in? Do it. Okay. Well, Tucker Carlson fired from Fox News. And Chris, we were talking, there were so many different theories about why this happened that I wanted to list them out and discuss each one of them. But first, may can I ask you, have you read in the media what you think is a good and compelling and logical account of why this happened? I have read, well, first, let me say, it is great to have somebody else getting fired from Fox News be on the front page. I have I have I have enjoyed that as a nice change of pace. The I have not read what I consider to be a complete answer. There's probably if you piece together different accounts, it's you could probably make a pastiche of of what happened. But I don't think I I guess I haven't seen anything that I say. Okay, well that's it. Then the question is answered. I was going to say the reason I wanted to go through each of these is that I think there's a little bit of truth in in a few accounts, but I also haven't read one comprehensive one. So let's start with the New York Times, which suggests that a major factor in his dismissal was the, the Fox board's discovery of vulgar text messages that disparaged management um, with use of the C word, both about Sidney Powell and about a member of Fox News management. And I'm just going to read from the story. The day before Dominion Voting Systems defamation trial against Fox News was set to begin in a Delaware courthouse, the Fox Board of Directors and top executives made a startling discovery that helped lead to the breaking point between the network and Tucker Carlson, one of its top stars. Private messages sent by Mr. Carlson that had been redacted in legal filings showed him making highly offensive and crude remarks that went beyond the inflammatory, often racist comments of his primetime show, and anything disclosed in the lead up to the trial. Chris, what what say you about this theory? I mean, you know, there's two there's two lawsuits or there's multiple lawsuits that are germane here. And there's the Abby Grossberg, the former producer, former booking producer who is suing. And then there's the Dominion lawsuit. What all is in whatever discovery in that. And I also will say that I have reason to believe 
that Dominion had some fireworks that they were going to try to put off in the trial. I am not privy to any special knowledge about the trial other than, you know, my own deposition, but I have reason to believe that there were going to be some, some kablooies in the trial that had not come out in the reams of discovery that had already been made public. That's a factor I seriously doubt, seriously doubt that any nasty things that Tucker Carlson said about any executives at Fox would have made this decision for them, right? Uh, I 100% agree with you. The idea that Fox management didn't know that Tucker Carlson, first of all, news is such a crude and lewd business. You know, the newsrooms are not churches. And if you, it's, people use salty language. And for them, the idea that the board would be shocked that Tucker Carlson used inappropriate or misogynist language, all of this has been known, you know, about him for years. And frankly, I don't, I don't even find it that shocking or offensive. So I think that's crazy. Yeah, I, I think that I, I tend to agree. All right. Up next, we have his remarks about Sidney Powell, which were made in the same vein. And that is what the Daily Beast asserts was a major factor. They write in Carlson's case, first of all, the most laughable line, it was Fox Corp CEO and Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott who made the call Friday night to can him and his show. And by that, they mean the decision, not the actual phone call. And they say thanks largely in part to vulgar comments he made about Sidney Powell, the right wing lawyer behind many of the bonkers 2020 election lies pushed on Fox's airwaves. But most egregious and what loomed large in his termination, people familiar with the matter told Confider, was how during his deposition with Dominion, when he was asked if this was wasn't the only time you referred to Sidney Powell as a C word, the Fox News star responded, you know, I can't know. And I just want to apologize preemptively. I mean, you're trying to embarrass me. You're trying to embarrass me. You're definitely succeeding as I am embarrassed. Give me a break. Okay, so it can fit into if the if one of the liabilities of Tucker Carlson was the lawsuit from Abby Grossberg, if he is regularly, if he regularly uses that word to describe women, that would certainly not help lawsuit for hostile workplace environment. While you are certainly right, that newsrooms, and I cherish the profanity of newsrooms, and many newsrooms today are unfortunately not salty and profane, and many are HR. The Free Beacon preserves, <laughs> the Free Beacon serves as the pantheon of saltiness and profanity. I promise there is a newsroom left in this country where that is the case. The lamp is lit. Yes. But, but even in the saltiest of salty newsrooms in which I have worked, that is not a word used to describe women that I am, I am familiar with being normal or okay. And so I can, I can see how that would be seen as a liability in a potentially damaging lawsuit. Right. I, I can see how the pattern would, could be used. On the other hand, it is, it doesn't seem enough to be reason alone, particularly given that my understanding is that Rupert Murdoch does not like to have his hand forced in this way, like with information that comes from a third party and that puts his back against the wall to make a decision. But I can see how it would be a small factor. I just don't think it was the main reason, as the Daily Beast suggests. Mm -hmm. And 
Let's let's hit two more before talking about what we really think happened here. One is the Abby Grossberg lawsuit, and she is the former Tucker producer. I think she worked for him for not too long and had come from Maria Bartiromo's show, where she alleges a hostile workplace environment. And I will say I was deeply interested to read her complaint, which I did read. It doesn't sound so bad, I must say. Like I'd be the first to say, wow, that, that's really bad. That's beyond well, you the had tale, that but, uh, job for Hannity, right? I, you- I had the job. She is, and we're gonna we're gonna play a clip. But she's very offended that there was a blown up picture of a bust bust burying or busty Nancy Pelosi in you know the the office where the Carlson producers worked. And another thing that she points out is there was like a, a you know a, a mini lighted Christmas tree put near her desk, and she's Jewish, and she found that to be offensive. Anyhow, let's play. She's now doing a media tour, which I think further discredits her lawsuit. I think if you're like really serious about trying to pursue something in court, you're probably not going to go on MSNBC and talk about it with Nicole Wallace. But let's play a clip of that. I was hoping that it would be more professional and what he was portraying on air was just a show. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So when do you realize that? Immediately. I show up first day of work. And I know that this is a popular one. It's been widely publicized. There are literally pictures like this big of Nancy Pelosi in a bathing suit in Europe, plastered all over. Um, There was even one on my computer screen for the temporary computer I had to use, and I had to take it down just to work. Um, Within a few days there, I was called into Justin Wells' office with Alex McCaskill, who was a senior producer as well, and asked if Maria was having an affair with Kevin McCarthy. It was just, I was shocked. I couldn't even believe it. I was floored. Chris, what say you about the dismissal because of the large busty picture of Nancy Pelosi put among his workers? The lawsuit definitely is a liability. And so is the smart, like, look, it doesn't stop being a liability because they fire him. But yes, it would. I think I will join brother Jonah Goldberg here against monocausality. I'm sure it was a, when you make a decision to do something risky, and for Fox, it was risky to fire Tucker Carlson, if you want to point out the risks you are alleviating, and there were many risks that they were alleviating, and I would imagine that this litigation is one of those risks. I don't really think it was, I hear you, but the the lawsuit, as I read it, was so thin to me. And given that, you know, Fox kept people on for years and years and years who were like privately settling these things. You know, yeah. Bill O'Reilly had given tens of millions of dollars to accusers. It this it, and this doesn't. any. by the way, this lawsuit doesn't allege any impropriety that comes directly from Tucker. I don't even I'm, I'm not even sure she had met him. But, you know, he records in Maine and Florida and she's in the New York newsroom. So I sort of doubt it. But all right. The final one is from Vanity Fair where Gabe Sherman suggests that Rupert Murdoch heard Tucker Carlson's keynote remarks at the Heritage Foundation, which came two days before he was fired, and was freaked out by his religiosity, which is funny because I don't know Tucker to be a particularly religious guy, and I know him a little bit. But Gabe Sherman writes, according to the source, Fox News Corp chair Richard R- Rupert Murdoch removed Carlson over remarks Carlson made during a speech at the Heritage Foundation foundation's 50th anniversary gala. Oh, sorry. It was Friday night, not Saturday. On Friday night. So three three days before his firing. Carlson laced his speech with religious overtones that even Murdoch found too extreme. The source who was briefed on Murdoch's decision making said, Carlson told the Heritage audience that national politics has become a mannequin battle between good and evil. 
Well, this is also the Glenn Beck theory of the case. The Glenn Beck theory of the case is that Tucker Carlson was smote for loving the Lord excessively and for bringing God <laughs> into the discussion. And I don't, I don't think so. Shannon Bream sells biblical books on her Sunday morning TV show. It, what's her name? Who's in the more Ainsley Earhart? Like F Fox does not have any evident problem with intermingling news, entertainment, and religion. So I, I don't think that's it. I guess I would say the problem with Carlson from for a long time is that not that it, he is religious, but that he is the fervor, right? It's not what the topic is, it's the tone and the apocalyptic and, you know, Manichaean is, is the right word, but I don't think it's about loving Jesus. I don't think that's the problem. So why, why do you think this happened? I have my own theory, but it's not based in heart. I don't think anybody really knows yet, but you want to go first? Well, you know, we don't really know because we haven't heard Carlson, a prodigious leaker, counteracting the mega leaks going on from Fox as they've been trying to spin and shape this story. And, you know, in addition to the ones that we just went through, we've also heard it was about January 6th. We've heard it was about a lot of reasons. Fox News had lots of reasons to fire Tucker Carlson, sure. And those included insubordination. They included that stuff. It particularly included the January 6th stuff in which he suggested it was a false flag and, and all of that jazz. It also included on as the trial, the Dominion trial was, was getting ready to go, him going on TV and, and raising doubts about the 2020 election in really lurid fashion. There were lots of reasons to do it, but the big reason to not do it was that it made the network a lot of money. And I just, look, if Carlson, who has retained an attorney, comes back and fights and calls this wrongful termination or whatever else, we'll see. Could this have been a contract negotiation that went south and he opted to go? All of that stuff is still possible. And until we hear what Carlson thinks, other than he would like you to subscribe to whatever his new Ben Shapiro competing vertical stack content might be, I guess we will just have to sort of wait. Okay. My take is as follows. And it, again, this is a guess, but I think that he had, he was not manageable. He was out of the control of the yes. network and its executives did whatever he wanted and was, you know, less, less an employee than a freelancer with whom Fox became affiliated. And, and by the same token, he was a risky one at that in that there was an enormous advertising boycott of his show, which is basically why you only saw my pillow ad. So I think there was there were risks and headaches there in that he was not controllable. And at the same time, he wasn't bringing in a ton of money because of this boycott. I understand he was the highest rated, the biggest star, but I think fundamentally he got too big and outside the grasp of their control. Again, this would have never happened under Roger Ailes, but because the current management is weak, I think as a result, he was unmanageable. I think that's right. But the question is, why now? And why do it right after the Dominion lawsuit? Occam's razor says that this is a, a that, that the two are related in some way to what degree or whether it was 
maybe it was they wanted to do it before, but didn't want to look guilty or take any provocative actions right before the trial. And with the trial out of the way, they felt like they could. I don't know. I assume it has to be a factor. But I will also say, and I, somebody, I, and I don't want to get us out of order here, but somebody talked about it. Carlson's devotion to the Fox News streaming service, Fox Nation, where he put his high profile interviews, where he did his thing, was really at the center of the plan for the network, right? That's the plan, the Fox's plan on the other side of the wormhole and all the cord cutting is the, the same that Carlson presumably has for himself, which is a subscription-based, a fee-based model. And he was right there in the middle of that. So this was a, a con I, I agree with all that you say, but I, I guess to answer my own question, why it took so long. It took so long because despite the boycott problems and despite all of that, he still represented an engine of revenue for the network. I agree with all of that as well. Oh, good. Well, here we are agreeing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Let's get to, we also wanted to cover some of the best takes on what happened. Let's get to that. Chris, you pulled the first one and then we can talk about our friend Jack Schaefer's excellent columns. I wish Jack Schaefer, Jack Schaefer was my friend. The Hi, Jack. This is from, who is this? I don't know who this person is, Mike Mitchell, but somebody shared this with me from the Twitter machine. Hannity's magic trick is he's really just doing vanilla RNC talking points every night. His lack of ambition keeps him safe. And this is true. The difference, and, and when the O'Reilly brand, Tucker Carlson is, was the prep school version of the O'Reilly brand. And the brand is, I'm not a Republican, certainly not a Democrat, but I'm not a Republican. And as a matter of fact, I'm fed up with the elites and I'm fed up with the people on the inside. And I'm interested. All about the folks. It's all about the folks and keeping it what you want in television of the two or three million people a night who watch Tucker Carlson. Many of them were worshipful fanboys who believed that in the coming civil war, they would, they would rally to the banner of Tucker Carlson. But lots and lots of them were people who were entertained, amused, infuriated, and wanted to just see what this guy would say. What is he going to say now? What's he going to do with this? Well, what's he, I, I want to see what he's going to say about that. Said no one ever about Sean Hannity's show, right? No one ever was like, ooh, I can't wait for Hannity's take on this. Because Hannity's take is going to be whatever is good for Republicans and a, a, a subset of Republicans, right? Not establishment Republicans or what we used to think of as establishment Republicans, not rhinos or, you know, whatever. But for whatever the, wherever the mainstream of the Republican Party is going, that's what Sean Hannity is going to say. And he's going to come up with a way to, to say it that sounds cantankerous, sounds mad, sounds whatever, but it's, but it's going to be that way. And what Carlson did and what O'Reilly did, and it's interesting, O'Reilly would still, I don't know if he'd still be on Fox, but had it not been for his personal foibles, the model worked, right? Because O'Reilly knew where to push it and where not to, right? He could push it out here a little bit, be entertaining, be whatever, but he knew where not to go. Carlson delivered higher ratings and more attention by pushing it 
and because he is a skilled broadcaster, had the ability to reel it back in most of the time, right? You, you take it out pretty far, you get everybody freaked out, you get all the attention, and then you reel it back in a little bit or you just step away from it. That is a way to get more ratings. And by the way, that's what Fox will need to find for eight o'clock again, I assume, somebody who can play that part. It is too bad for all involved that it can't be Megyn Kelly because that's where she should be. That is the, the, the correct answer for who should be in the eight o'clock hour for Fox is Megyn Kelly, who is an excellent broadcaster and who knows how to court controversy without blowing herself up. And that would be the correct answer. But they need somebody like that who is a good broadcaster and who is a controversialist, but who doesn't get the company repeatedly sued and cause notable contributors to quit in protest. Jack Schaefer had two great columns about this. The first, had said exactly what we've been talking about. The headline is, don't believe everything you read about Tucker Carlson, and this is in Politico. And Schaefer writes, as we see in the Carlson example, the anonymous sources who are variously described as a Fox News source, people familiar with the matter, a source, another source, sources, eight sources, a source briefed on the conversation, people familiar with the company's thinking and other fuzzy IDs don't fundamentally agree on the reason for his ouster. When anonymous sources provide documentation or other ancillary proof of their statements, such as recordings, they surface information that can be verified and do readers a great service. But in many cases, they get to spout off without taking any responsibility for what they say. Readers are often given no way to judge the credibility of anonymous sources. For all we know, the Fox News source cited could be upper management or a spring intern. Does the source have an agenda that is coloring his blind quotations? How hard did the reporter work to verify what the anonymous source said? Exactly, because I think a lot of these anonymous sources are Fox management trying to spin the departure. Absolutely. And there is and there is always at Fox internal spin that is pumped out through the company with the hope or intention that it will leak. Right. So you, it's a top down. You, you put the you put the talking points out internally with knowledge that they will filter, you know, in a company of many hundreds of people or thousand people that, that it will, that it, who are close to media figures, that it will work its way out. And Schaefer's other column was about Tucker getting essentially his hubris. And, and the headline is Tucker Carlson's exit shows who's the real star at Fox. And he says what Beck, O'Reilly, and Kelly, referring to Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, and Megyn Kelly, didn't understand at the time and what somebody should explain to Carlson e this evening is that Fox itself, which convenes the audience, is the star. And the star maker is whomever network owner Rupert Murdoch has assigned to run the joint. The nighttime hosts, as talented as they are, and Beck, O'Reilly, Kelly, and Carlson are among some of the most talented broadcasters to, stop, to slop the makeup on and speak into the camera are as replaceable as the members of the bubblegum group, the Archies, as interchangeable as the actor who played James, actors who've played James Bond, as expendable as the gifted musician, musicians who played lead guitar for the Yardbirds. Gosh, I can't read. That's um, some very boomer. That's a series of extraordinarily boomer references there right in a row. Very impressive. And I, I totally agree with that. I think it, the departures have shown how diminished your platform is without, being broadcast on Fox. And I have to say, you know, Tucker Carlson put out a YouTube video after this that's garnered a ton of views, but I was struck by how relatively small he seemed coming over a YouTube video without all of the bells and whistles of, of Fox broadcasting. And I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, the the logical thing for Carlson to do is to get in the Ben Shapiro business, to get in the Glenn Beck business to be the, to go the Joe Rogan way and go to a fee for subscription model 
and take, if he could just take a million people with him, right? If he could find a way to get a million subscribers, that's a lot of money. And then eventually maybe you sell to Salem or you sell to somebody at some point. So this could be a hugely lucrative thing. But here's the thing about that. You don't get the stroke, right? Ben Shapiro is really good at what he does. And his platform is really popular. But it doesn't drive the conversation. A lot of what Carlson was doing, by the way, was taking things from those platforms and bringing them up onto Fox. And for as long as it lasts, primetime cable news is still a place where if you want to be in the larger, broader discussion, you can do that. And you can't do that behind a paywall with loyal followers. So it is just a different thing. But I will, I will differ from Schaefer in this one point. It can't be a company man or woman, right? It can't, the, this, this slot, this position, and this is what our next take from Jeff Maurer at I Might Be Wrong, the Tucker Carlson role just opened up. Here, the, the thing is, and I, I, I think Maurer is, is very right here, there is a special character, though, that, that Maurer calls it, what is it? He, he had a good name for it, Winston Bifo. The, the character of Winston Bifo that Tucker Carlson played, you need a special person, a special talent to do the Winston Bifo. It's not Jesse Waters. It's not Brian Kilmeade. It's not Sean Hannity. It's not somebody who, who seems like they are housebroken and plays well with others. It's the friction. It's the contrariness. It's the rogue quality that leads that that makes it work and it's really hard to find somebody who knows how to operate in the space where it's dangerous but not deadly so i agree with schaefer's premise right fox could put on whatever people have made a lot out of fox's lower ratings compared to the previous week and that's all true but the if you did just put i don't shouldn't say just put but if you put brian kilmeade in that slot would he beat cnn yeah of course fox you know what the number one rated show in cable news is what the number one rated show in cable is it's the five it's on it five o'clock that's the juggernaut and for fox it, the story is that from you know five to eight five to nine o'clock as the west coast comes online especially when you have older viewers that's that's the money slot that's where you want to be and it that's all true. But if you want to take it to the next level, you have to have somebody who seems what makes live television interesting and good is that it feels a little dangerous that it feels a little like, whoa, I don't know exactly what's going to happen here. And you have to have somebody who can lean into that. 538 Chris is reporting on a Pew poll or sorry, a Quinnipiac University poll that shows the defamation trial hurt trust among some viewers whereas 65% of Americans said Fox News should be held accountable for spreading false information. Among Fox News viewers, 50% said these revelations had no effect on their belief that the 2020 election was stolen. However, 13% said they no longer believed the election was stolen, and 21% of Fox News viewers who were aware of the lawsuit said they trusted the network less following the revelations from the text and Murdoch's deposition. And, the, and the, that stuff hit both ways, right? Because it hurt with viewers who were turned off by the dishonesty, right? And the practices. But it also hurt with people who heard Tucker Carlson say or read Tucker Carlson talk about his contempt for Donald Trump and that they didn't really believe. So I guess I'll put it this way. 
for some viewers, it was bad to hear that they didn't believe that that they didn't believe the things that they were or for a bunch of viewers. It was bad to hear that they didn't believe the things that they were saying, but it hits differently for the two different groups. What is Mike Lindell's complaint about Fox? That they don't really believe the crazy stuff. They're just they're just faking it. On the other hand, the faking the crazy stuff is the problem for those core viewers. And here's what my experience tells me. If you try to placate the kooks, sooner or later, the kooks get wise, right? Sooner or later, the kooks wise up. And where do they go? Newsmax. That's the Newsmax is ready for them. The next item from the New York Times, Newsmax ratings climb after Tucker Carlson's exit at Fox. Viewership of Newsmax remains far below that of Fox News, but its audience at certain hours has doubled and it sometimes and sometimes slots tripled in the immediate aftermath. Bah, 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 bah. Eric Bowling drew 531,000 viewers. One week earlier, it had 146,000. That's a lot. The Judge Napolitano, who is now at Newsmax, the said it was a, like it compared Tucker Carlson's fire, firing to like the 1927 Yankees firing Babe Ruth for his table manners. I don't get it. I think a good a good question here is: Can Newsmax afford? Will they afford? Could they afford? Would Tucker Carlson want to do it and go to Newsmax? Chris. Yes, I think that's a good question. Should we talk about Don Lemon? Oh, yes. I mean, why not? Poor Don, okay. poor Don Lemon. In, I mean, in a master stroke of timing, CNN announced Don Lemon's departure. Actually, Don Lemon announced his departure before CNN was able to announce it. But it was like a half hour after Fox announced that they were parting ways with Tucker. And so this got completely buried. How lucky is CNN? on that good timing. I think good timing I think I think it's amazing I think CNN and and by the way the the biggest winner in all of it other than CNN was NBC Universal who was totally who was bracing for the fact that their president had been engaged in some what do the 30 rock storyline with Avery Jessup and Jack Donaghy echoing its way through their organization and they they dump him over in, inappropriate relationship with an anchor and th- everybody's all geared up to cover that story. They fire Carlson, Kablooey, that story gets shoved aside. And then CNN, sensing opportunity, cans Don Lemon right then. And it was just, in terms of a, P, for a, a PR coup, that was a PR coup. It was amazing in my my response to this, it, it's so unsurprising and not not particularly interesting, but is what took them so long? You know, there are ways to understand the timing of Tucker's dismissal from Fox. It was a couple days after Fox settled with Dominion. But I don't understand what took CNN so long to get rid of Don Lemon after he made the comment about Nikki Haley that she was past her prime. And that was consistent with his disrespect, the disrespect he showed to his two co-hosts on that morning show. And then, you know, there was a bigger report that this that he had, you know, been disrespectful of female colleagues for for decades. He was so a jerk. Really know he was so a, he was yeah. a, his his like Carlson. Right. The the brand was jerkishness. Right. Like I the 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 imperious offended sanctimony of Don Lemon and one of the the closing moments was there's some wannabe Republican candidate, I forget what his name is, but who is uh, who's 
trying to get a little attention out there. And he went on. No, oh, it was Vivek Ramaswamy. There you go. Went let's, on. let's play the clip of that, actually. Let's play a clip from that interview where Lemon cuts in, takes over from his co-host, Poppy Harlow, and has she's sort of looking on in horror as this exchange takes place. Let's play it. Hang on, please. I cannot keep a thought if you guys are talking to me in my ear. So uh, hang on one second. So to say that, that black people, say, say what you said again. Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it. Only after their Second Amendment rights have, were secured. They were not secured their freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction. You're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War, <laughs> and that things turned around. People tried to change the freedoms that were supposed and to And you know how they the got Civil it? War they got their Second Amendment rights, and they actually got, the NRA played a big role in that. But today, down the The final, NRA did the, not play a oh, big absolutely. role. They train that black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. But, that's at, not. The NRA actually, did not play a big role. This in is just historical fact. But down the, historical the, fact. The, the part that I just find because you say it's historical the fact. The part that I find insulting fact. is when you say today black Americans don't have those rights after we have the gone through civil rights revolution in this country. You are sitting here telling an African American about the rights and what you find insulting about the the, the way I live, the skin I live in every day. Here's and where I you and I have the freedoms that black and white that black people don't have in this country and that black people do have. You talked before about the problem of Tucker Carlson and not being manageable. And Don Lemon kept wanting to prove that he was unmanageable and that he was defiant. And the, here's the difference. I don't think Don Lemon made a nickel for CNN. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he was any kind of an asset for the organization and was mostly headaches and very little plus side. And I think, as you said, I don't know why it took so long. Chris, let's get to 2024 coverage. And I think we got it. Should we hit the <laughs> the Courtney Subramanian feeding her question to the White House? Yes, by by all means. You, the White House correspondent, please take the lead. The background on this is that in a press conference this week, uh, President Biden had was holding note cards in his hand and on one of the note cards that was photographed by by a photographer there, it showed the photograph and name of a reporter along with the question that along with a question. Now, the reporter then was the first to be called on by the White House in the press conference and asked a question very, very similar to the one printed on the note card. And this was really an amazing story. And by the way, the L.A. Times, sorry, I think. The L.A. Times, where this reporter worked, has right. said the question was not fed to the White House in advance. It, it's not possible. It's not possible. Well, OK, let me play devil's advocate and just say what was written on the card looked to me like an answer to a question that, that th these were the notes for how Biden should answer the question, not what the question would be. <laughs> Certainly, we know about White House's consulting with reporters in advance of press conferences, Right. And you do? I'm not I'm not familiar with that. Oh, my gosh. The, there was huge, huge drama in the Obama presidency about the list of reporters that he and Bush did it, too. Here's the list of reporters that he would take up to the podium. And these are the reporters that he was going to call on. And I forget. And I, I hope that John Potter that, that requires no consultation with the reporters. The White I, House is free to drop I, a list based on. I believe RCPs. I believe there were instances and I'm sorry for being unprepared, but I believe there were instances where collusion was alleged. And certainly I have heard it said by White House reporters that they believed 
that question that that topics had been brushed over with their competitors, which is what gave them the opportunity to ask the question. For example, you say to the 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 press secretary or communications director says to somebody, hey, you know, I know you're really interested in X, Y, Z. And the president really wants to talk about it. If you had a question about that, it would probably be good. Wink, wink, wink. Now that's not that's not kosher, but that would be a gradient difference between submitting your question in advance. What does the White House say about this? The White House has said it did not have the question in advance. Karine Jean-Pierre commented on it. My experience is limited to the Trump White House. I participated in press conferences. I've asked questions. I asked questions at press conferences and I never, this is something I'm completely unaware of and that seems completely inappropriate to me. That being said, were there some communication in the background? That is not, you know, that, that is not how the LA Times has responded. They have not responded to shed light on the situation by saying, oh, this is a customary thing that happens. They've said there was absolutely no passing of questions to the White House. We don't have a sufficient explanation for what happened here, but it seems, it seems pretty obvious to me. Well, I think what's pretty remarkable is that we went from in the Bush and Obama and previous era where you'd have a list of reporters, say, hey, call on this guy, call on this gal. Biden has blown up cards with headshots of the reporter so that he can look at their face and a pronunciation guide for the reporter's name. That's that's a, that's an awful lot of handholding. That is an awful lot. What was the what was the well, the second no card that was shown was a list of his own advisors who would be in the room, <laughs> um, which was also incredible, incredible. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a long 18 months for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. It's going to be a long, it's going to be a long way from here to there. Did you hear, by the way, Kevin McCarthy? I He said this, with, you can, if you're, if you tune in to The Hill on News Nation, 5 p.m. Eastern, you would have heard it there in an interview with our Hill correspondent saying that he would get Biden to the negotiations any way that he could. He said, we'd even serve soft food. I did see that. <laughs> I did see that. Should we Didn't talk 2024? Yeah. Keep it All going. right. Hit it. Hit it. Donald Trump says, maybe I don't, maybe I don't like your debate. Maybe your debate's not good. And here, a wretch's favorite, Fred Ryan, the publisher of the Washington Post, who also is the director of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library that the second debate is going to be held there. Trump says he doesn't like that. I I assume this is Trump negotiating and I assume this is I assume this is Trump negotiating and I assume this is Trump trying to get something out of this or maybe he wants to create a scenario in which others complain. I know we've got the the idea of will there be a, a pledge that you have to sign to participate in the debates to say that you'll support the eventual nominee. So I suspect Trump will go, but I assume this is just the beginning of a long and excruciating negotiation. I could see him not going. You know, he he boycotted one of the debates in 2016 when he was far from a lock on the candidacy. And if he is far in the lead, like I could absolutely see him not debating, though I do think he would relish the opportunity to taunt and diminish his rivals. It was it was a Fox News Iowa debate that he boycotted over the inclusion of Megyn Kelly as a moderator. And it was a colossal blunder. It was a terrible error that he made. And I don't think he'll repeat it. 
up next. Oh, yes, the Washington Post. In totally unbiased coverage, we have this headline from the Washington Post. Trump touts authoritarian vision for second term. Quote, I am your justice. And the lead of the article by Isaac Arnstorf and Jeff Stein is mandatory stop and frisk, deploying the military to fight street crime, break up gangs and deport immigrants, purging the federal workforce and charging leader, leader, leakers. Former President Donald Trump has steadily begun outlining his vision for a second term agenda, focusing on unfinished business from his time in the White House and an expansive vision for how he would wield federal power. You know, he's just painting a picture of the authoritarianism that he plans to enact when he's elected. Those are things Donald Trump did say, though. Those are those. I will I will I will certainly grant that the headline Trump touts authoritarian vision for second term is piquant. But it is true. I mean, this is more news analysis than news, but it is certainly true that that's stuff that he said he wants to do. That is true. And it, it, the appropriate way to cover it would be by getting quotes from people saying Correct. Correct. this is concerning, not from declaring trumpeting it and making a, you know, making your own view known in the headline, I think. Do you mean like a headline from Politico GOP tries to paint Biden's labor nominee as radical? hoping to turn Dem, Dem votes against her. And this is a, a very, this is a classic construction. It's not that she's radical, you see. And what's her name? Sue? Julie uh, Sue. Julie Sue. It's not that she's radical, see. It's that she's being painted, she's being painted as radical. Donald Trump is an authoritarian, but Julie Sue is being painted as a radical. And there is, there, there is your double standard, there's proof of your double standard if you ever wondered. Let's talk a little bit about the reporting about the Supreme Court that we've oh. seen. Uh, oh. So so the latest was, and I actually, we have a New York Times link in here, but I believe the original story was from I, Politico. The original, just, yes, the original it story was on is Politico. from Politico. I'm going to switch and, that. And, and, but I want the New York Times link because the New York Times debunks the Politico story fully. And so the Politico story is, Piggybacking on the Clarence Thomas accepted gifts craze, Politico comes in with this, like, I can't believe it. It's, how could it be so? Story about the, the corruption that Neil Gorsuch was engaged in. And so the New York Times comes and does its follow-up and along the way, poops on the story fully. And it points out, in they go and talk to the experts that Politico did not talk to. And I'll find the line, but it is it is a, a a a potent debunking where he says they spoke to, and these are liberal or left of center pundits. Justice Gorsuch did not break the law by omitting the buyer's identity, said Stephen Gillers, a New York University professor and specialist in legal ethics. Under and by the 19- way, this is the buyer of a of a Colorado property that he owned. Under a 1978 statute governing financial disclosures, federal judges are not required to disclose who bought the property from them. Gabe Roth, the executive director of Fix the Court, a nonpartisan group that presses for greater transparency and accountability by the justices, agreed that the omission did not violate the law, but argued that Congress should pass legislation expanding what justices must disclose, including losses from any sales. Give me a break. Give me a break. Mas harumph. Mucho harumpho. It is no story. And by the way, James Taranto at the Wall Street Journal had a wonderful column about this, which we'll also link. But he 
pulled up a 1991 report from Ruth Marcus in the Washington Post. The headline is, Brennan discloses gifts from local developer. And she notes at the time, a Washington developer forgave $120,000 in in loans and gave $20,000 in cash to retired Justice William J. Brennan Jr. According to Brennan's financial disclosure forms, with $80,000 of the gifts coming while Brennan was still on the bench. And the developer or the donor says, at no time since I have lived, sorry, let me go back. Brennan said, at no time since I have lived in the condominium and specifically during any of the years reflected on this report, did Mr. Smith, that's a donor, or any of his companies have any matters before the court or that were affected by court decisions. He said the gifts reflected only the affection and generosity of a dear friend. Mr. Smith has stated that he made these gifts in recognition of my public service. There was no, the the article, which we'll also link, does not raise the question of any kind of impropriety here. Yeah, it it is a this this has been a a excruciating journey. The the effort to start out to get Clarence Thomas, and then we're gonna that, remember when we had our stories about the what's his name George Santos effect, where they caught Santos, and now they're looking for any exactly. Are, are there, is there anybody else? Do we have anything? So I think this is definitely Santos effect. And I also just wanted to point to what the kind of work that ProPublica uh, does, not to say that some of the work they do isn't good, but ProPublica, who started the trend, I found their story about, here's a headline, in secret recording, a top city library official calls Alaska natives woke and racists. And it is like secret tapes of this stuff. To, and the comments that the woman makes are... I, I don't know how to describe they're they're not crazy. it's not like crazy stuff and it's not it's not like the lawmakers in Oklahoma or Texas who want we're talking about ways to kill reporters and lynch black people. It it is nothing like that. And it is blown up into this huge controversy. And I thought like ProPublica, if ProPublica wants to be this independent the source of as they call it, fearless independent journalism, it would be good for them to even things out a little bit and have a little bit more have have a have a cast a wider net maybe than what they're doing. Yeah, we'll we'll report back when they unearth the <laughs> when they unearth the unreported, undisclosed or corrupt transactions of any of the liberal justices on the court. Here here. 538. Going down. Disney, yep. And Nate Silver, the Founder, proprietor tweeted, Disney layoffs have substantially impacted 538. I'm sad and disappointed to a degree that's kind of hard to express right now. We've been at Disney almost 10 years. My contract is up soon, and I expect that I'll be leaving at the end of it. You know, not much more to say than that, but clearly the economics of this business are are not good. Well, it's it's also 538 was never, 538 sort of like Vox or a number of things that, you know, in the data journalism moment, people were you know, ahead of internet 2.0 or was that, that was internet 2.0, whatever. I've lost the count of point those, but these outlets wanted them to do more than they could. Right. And I think that by the way, will be the experience that places have with what's Axios and others. They're looking for panacea. It's not going to be the case. And the, the amount of money that they were spending on 538, they weren't getting that return on. And there it goes. And it, but it is a bummer because I have enjoyed the resource and relied on the resource often. 
What do we have next? Oh, I do. I do point people to Ben Smith's good piece in Semaphore. It's back to the future for a diminished digital news business, which incorporates a lot of this. And it's it's interesting about he just he clocks in well on where we are now and how the the multiple efforts to reinvent the Internet have, in many cases, taken us right back to the beginning. And finally, we have the death of a New York Post reporter yeah. um, at 31. And I thought the Post posted some lovely reminiscences. Yeah, all right. R.I.P. Connor Skelding and his his paper remembered him fondly and good good for them. Chris, that brings us to the style section. Do it. My favorite was <laughs> you can you can buy and we will link it for you a one hundred and fifty five dollar quarter zip pullover on Tucker Carlson's website, and it looks very tuckery. It is talk about lake washed, Chris. This is this it is, is in a lake washed hue. It is in a lake washed hue. I don't know if this meets Colin. And by the way, we're recording remotely, so you can see that on the wall behind Colin, he has like looks like a creel ready to go out fishing at any moment. He can walk. He can just reach on the wall behind him, <clears throat> walk out the door, and go get some brookies. But yes, you too can have the Tucker Carl at, at, at TuckerCarlson.com. In the merch section for 155 American dollars, you too can have a George Santos-esque quarter zip pullover. Should we talk White House Correspondents Dinner? Oh, I hate the White House Correspondents Dinner so bored by this topic. Yes, I I am so happy not to be attending any events surrounding this. If only Donald Trump had succeeded in killing the White House Correspondents Dinner, this, and look, to a certain degree, I understand foreign embassies, and corporations need an excuse, an opportunity. They're looking for a time to come and throw parties in Washington and do whatever. But what a horrible thing this is, has resulted in. There was a time in Washington where it was a, a, a charming thing, but that's not where we are. And why can't it die? Why can't it go away? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly why. Because of pieces like this. Politico magazine has has something called the thirsties it's the award for the thirstiest member of congress goes to ellipsis presenting the first ever thirsties for those who excel in washington signature art form trying to get on your tv screen tonight and it's this super snarky sneering attacks richie torres for trying to dominate the new york media market for peter meyer for being a respectable republican Ro Khanna, can't stop what's up and it goes on in this Marjorie Taylor Greene and all this stuff. And I want to say to Politico magazine, who the hell do you think they're doing it for? Who Who's doing this? For Politico to say this, it's just, it, it's, it is so absolutely tenured, so oblivious that one of the major traffickers in thirst and this trash to go around, and by the way, to put Peter Meyer on this list, give me a break. All of this, Politico, that's that's what it sells. That's what it's doing. And then to turn around and sneer at these people with, to pretend like Politico is not the place that they're running it is preposterous. Chris. Yes. I'm going to let you rant. I'm going to let your rant <laughs> bring us to our obsessions of the week. It's that time. Yes. And I'm going to go first. 
I chose this because last week I my obsession was the New York Times piece that had the headline, How a Campaign Against Transgender Rights Mobilized Conservatives. And the account it gave was that right-wingers invented the issue of transgenderism That's and right. in order to pounce and seize and et cetera. And there was a wonderful rejoinder in the Washington Examiner by your AI colleague, Tim Carney. Oh, um, yeah. And he writes, conservatives are standing on the same ground where they've stood for decades, a brand new and brand new cultural forces are assailing that ground, forcing conservatives to fight back or make unacceptable surrenders. And he writes, you would think that conservative North Carolina legislatures were the first ones to, quote, deploy transgender issues. That is how The New York Times characterized it. You would think, judging by this account, that the state passed a law about men and women's bathrooms to score political points. But there was a very specific trigger to the North Carolina bathroom bill. It was the Charlotte bathroom bill. Charlotte passed a bill forcing private businesses to let male customers who identified as women use the women's room or be guilty of discrimination. The state law, and, and I'm sure our listeners remember when Pat McCrory passed that bill as governor of North Carolina. This was in, in the headlines everywhere. So the state law was, in effect, a preemption of the bathroom portion of that bill. So who started the culture war? It wasn't the people trying to maintain the bathroom status quo. And I think that's true as we've seen this ideology creep into schools across the country where school board members or parents are pushing back on this. The issue was brought to their doorstep, not invented. Yeah. And trying to fix blame in this is d the idea that somehow, oh, well, We'll just it, it, we'll we'll figure out who's to blame for starting the culture war, and then then we'll solve it. We'll have it at somebody's feet. The truth is, we have conflict. We have a conflict of visions, as as you might say, and the people who want to change the status quo tend to be the aggressors. That's generally how this goes. So good good on Tim Carney. Good on you for bringing it to our attention. What is your obsession? My obsession is a is terrible nostalgia. Terrible, terrible nostalgia. It is exemplified in a piece by Amanda Mull at The Atlantic headline, You Will Miss Bed Bath and Beyond. And I got to tell you, okay, listen to just a little bit. What I am explaining here is just how a town or city works when it does, where jobs and opportunities come from, where people decide to move to a place, why they decide to stay. Whether Bed Bath & Beyond fails is by itself not going to break any particular city, but the larger trend that has helped it towards failure might eventually do just that. The more economic activity goes to e-commerce and just a few brick-and-mortar mega-retailers, the more activity fades from public view. Instead, it's attended to by low-wage workers sequestered in warehouses or largely behind the scenes in big-box stores and by delivery drivers alone in their truck. What consumers get in return is convenience, or at least the semblance of it, Shop all you want without leaving your home. And if you must go out, get everything you need in a single store. But as this way of shopping becomes dominant, it also flattens out some of the social and physical texture of life. Holy cannoli. Hey, the Atlantic. Remember what they said about Bed Bath & Beyond? Probably you said about Bed Bath & Beyond, how it was destroying Main Street. And then after you love Bed Bath & Beyond and Bed Bath & Beyond is going away, now it must be saved. Get the point. Get with it. It doesn't stop. The cycle does not stop. It does not stop. Nothing stays the way that it is for all time. 
I thought about this when I was at Disneyland not too long ago. The At the beginning, when you go into Disneyland, it's any town America set in the teens of the previous century. And when Disneyland opened in the 1950s, that was as far back in the experience of people who went to the park when it opened as the 1980s are for us today. Nostalgia is really powerful. Nostalgia is the memory of the life as it never existed, right? It is the, it is the longing for a non-existent past. And this kind of, like, you like, you like going to Bed Bath & Beyond. That's great. You like it better than Amazon. That's fantastic. You don't need to turn it into a larger commentary about what it's going to do to all of human existence. And don't you see what's going to happen now that strip malls are going to die? I don't know what the hell that's going to happen when strip mall dies. Maybe there are people who hate Bed Bath & Beyond. Maybe it doesn't matter. Your personal nostalgia that you feel once you reach a certain age and things aren't the way that they were anymore does not mean that the world is ending. It just means you're getting older. Chris, we are going to skip reader mail this week for the sake of time because we went long, long, long on Tucker. It was a big um, top. So that so that means my favorite time of the week we have to skip, but we oh. will move seamlessly into our favorite items of the week. Where I am forced to say something nice, but you got to lead me by example. Ju- Judge tosses Devin Nunez suit over Esquire article. Kudos to Judge Williams among who who threw out the lawsuit from Devin Nunes, they who said that he had been defamed because somebody said that they had illegal immigrants working on their farm and they went to trial. They found that they did in the in the Dominion case and others were having a big ongoing discussion in America today about the Sullivan standard and about what constitutes defamation and all that stuff. And it's good when we're holding the line for Sullivan. And it's good when judges recognize that you that these that these suits are injurious. So Good, good for you, Judge Williams. Chris, my favorite item is the Variety report that the other Chris, Chris Licht over at CNN, has landed both Gail King and Charles Barkley, the more important one, to host weekly show King Charles. And they write, Barkley said the program would not try to emulate clickbait the journalism outlets are forced to publish in order to keep traffic numbers up to please advertisers. We don't want to say we're a liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. That's one of the things that's already ruined television in general, he said. The show will start in primetime beginning this fall and running into 2024, according to a memo from Chris Licht, CEO of CNN. This programming and unique, this show will be an exciting new way. We are delivering culturally relevant programming and unique perspectives to our audience from two incredibly dynamic personalities. Chris, that's one I'm excited to watch. I know you're a Charles Charles Barkley Barkley fan. It's great television. I'm a fan. Non-terrible, non-terrible, and I look forward to watching along with you. That is all the time that we have left for the news about the news. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. 